Hey Church, Hayden here. Um, so I'm actually going to catch us up because when we were recording this live, we actually lost about the first um, quarter of this sermon. So I'm going to bring us up to speed. And so we started out this week in Acts 25. So if you haven't read that recently, I'd encourage you to pause, go back, read Acts 25. Um, and then that's where Ricky then picks up with this illustration at the opening, um, talking about how athletes in the Olympics are driven by the will to be the best in the world. That's what drives everything they do, right? They get up early so they can go to the gym. They eat the perfect amount of calories for them. They work out hard. Um, and that's what drives them is this internal will to be an Olympian, to be an Olympic champion. And so then he says, you know, for all of us, we all have something driving us. And in Acts 25, we're going to see that there's three things that are driving the people in Acts 25. And the first thing that we see is a, a desire to protect and to preserve. And so that is what is driving the Jewish people in their pursuit of Paul here. And so Paul um, he was in Jerusalem and he was kind of preaching the gospel, but the Jews were jealous of that. They didn't want him to do that. Um, so they pursued him and the Roman authorities at the time, they kind of took Paul into custody to protect him from the Jewish uprising. And then they moved him over to this new custody where um, he was in Caesarea for two years. Paul was in Caesarea for two, two years in jail. And so that's where Acts 25 picks up. So it's now two years later, and this new governor named Festus, he shows up in Caesarea. And the very first thing that um, the Jews do when they find this new leader, Festus is in town, is they go to him and they're like, hey, so there's this guy, Paul, um, we want to put him back on trial. And so after two years, they had not lost this internal drive to pursue Paul to the end. And, and the reason was because they were trying to preserve their way of life, right? Their way was that we are the religious elite. Um, we are the ones who make the rules. We are the ones who tell people what to do. But now this Paul is coming in and he's compromising all of that. He's preaching a gospel of a different person who's in charge, this Messiah, Jesus, and he's telling people to act differently than we would expect them to act. And so they are driven to preserve their way of life to the point that they want to kill Paul. And that's where their internal drive um, has moved them. And so when we are driven by this same will to preserve or to protect our way of life, um, a few things happen. And the first is that we stop pursuing people in love and we start fighting them. Right. That's what we see um, happens for the Jewish people here that, you know, really their call should be to love Paul. Their call to be should be even if they were like actually thinking that they were right, they should go to him in love and say, hey, you know, this actually isn't what the scriptures say. And here's why. Like, you know, we don't we want to follow Leviticus 19:18, which says don't seek revenge or bear a grudge, but love others as yourself. And so they actually forgot that that was their call. And so they're motivated instead by this preservation. And so when we are motivated by the same thing, we do 
the exact same thing. Instead of pursuing people in love, we, we go after them, we fight them, we try, to, we try to squelch whatever they're trying to put out there. And, and so Ricky then brought up, so what's, what's one kind of warning sign that maybe you're um, being driven by this internal preservation is do you post on social media um, just your, your opinions, your, your propaganda, so to speak, more than you're actually having people into your home and having loving conversations, even with people that you disagree with. Um, so, and that's the one thing is that we're fighting people. The other way that this kind of manifests in ourselves is that we just withdraw. If we are trying to preserve our way of life and other people out there are compromising it, or at least we feel like they are, the other option instead of fighting them, trying to silence them, would be just to withdraw from them and say, I'm just going to create my own little bubble um, where I can I can just do whatever I want. And so those are the, the two kind of ways that this internal drive of preservation and protection of our own way of life manifests themselves. So that's the first one. And then the second thing that um, people are internally driven by is um, a will for profit, whatever is profitable to them. And that's where Ricky will pick up. So here we go. And so now Festus, he's the new guy he's brought in and he's got to deal with this. And then in, um, so the first thing he does is he goes down to Jerusalem. I mean, this is his first week on the job. And he leaves Caesarea where, where he, the, kind of that, that Roman uh, station is. And he goes, goes to Jerusalem. I mean, this is kind of good leadership by Festus. I mean, he's like, hey, I'm going to pursue you guys. I'm going to build a relationship. I'm going to talk with you. He spends, I mean, it says that he spends eight to ten days there, spends a week and a half there. I mean, this is good. And then they, they say, hey, what if, what if you, there's the, the, we want to ask you a favor. What if you brought Paul from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, or from Caesarea down here, and we could have a trial here? And so he doesn't want to be this pushover. Hey, I'm, I, 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 hey I'm, I'm wanting to build this relationship here with you, but I don't want you to think I'm, I'm this just nobody and I don't have authority. So no, we'll, we'll do it there in, in Caesarea. And so... Um, in verse um, 5, he says, Therefore he said, Let those of you, he's talking to the Jews, Festus is, who have authority go down with me and accuse him if he, if he has done anything wrong. So he spends eight or ten days among them, and he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the tribunal, he commanded Paul to be brought in. So they had this, this delegation, this kind of hearing. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges that they were not able to prove. Then Paul made his defense. He's like, hey, I haven't done anything wrong here, guys. I'm, I'm innocent. But then look at verse 9. This is really key. But Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor. Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor. Hey, Paul, what, you want to go to Jerusalem? Because this is Festus's predicament. Hey, it's been two years. This is the first thing that you guys want. This is really important to you, this Paul guy. Um, okay, nobody has any charges against him. It's been two years. I mean, two years, you should be able to have something legit against Paul. They got nothing. And so Festus, this is his predicament, is like, okay, Paul's innocent. So according to Roman law, I should let this guy go. That's the just thing to do. But if I, if I follow Roman law, 
you Jews are going to be upset and you're not going to like me. Mm. So I could do what's right or I could do what's profitable for me. How do I do this? Well, hey, Paul, you want to go to Jerusalem? That's not the right thing to do. And so everything, this is all political for Festus. What is going to help how the people perceive me? That's what's driving him. He, I mean, even think of this throughout this story. He's willing to compromise what's just, what is right. And it repeats it over and over again in the chapter. Paul's innocent. Paul's innocent. He's willing to compromise all that. Why? Because the Jews won't like it. And I need to do what is profitable for me. And so then he says, well, hey, you want to go to Jerusalem? Paul sees through it. Gosh, man, this guy is being weak. I don't know what, the, I mean, maybe Paul is aware that, hey, if I go to Jerusalem, these people are going to kill me. Last time I was in Jerusalem, they tried to kill me. They'll probably try to do the same. Then, then Paul in verse 10 says this, I'm standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I've done no wrong to the Jews as even you yourself know. He's even saying like, you know it. You know it, Festus. If I did anything wrong and am deserving death, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is anything to what these men accuse me of, no one could give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. So, oh man. Now Paul, as a Roman citizen, he's like, hey, you ain't handling this the right way in your court. I ain't going to Jerusalem. Let's go to Rome. I'll appeal to Caesar. So now Festus has dealt with a different problem. Okay. I can't let him go because the Jews won't like me. I should do the right thing and and let him go because he is innocent. But now he appeals to Caesar. If I send him to Caesar, I have nothing. I mean, you even see it later in the chapter. I have nothing to write up about him. Hey, why'd you send Paul here? Why is he here being tried basically at the Supreme Court? What'd he do? I don't know. I mean, you're going to look like an idiot. Right? I mean, like, hey, I know we have a bunch of teachers, and that's something we could a lot of, right? I mean, can you imagine a new teacher, new day, on the job? Oh, hey, Mr. Kennedy, office. Principal is like, wait a minute, man, Ricky, this is your first day on the job. First day, you're the new guy. What'd you send to the office for? Didn't raise his hand. He just, he just didn't raise his hand. I mean, how's the principal going to perceive that? Is this job too big for you? I mean, Gosh, we fired the last guy. Felix, we got rid of him. Why? Because he couldn't do it. He wasn't, he wasn't any good. We brought you in to fix this thing. The first, your first month on the job and you can't even handle it? Felix, I mean, Festus here is going to look like, like incompetent. So th- this is this predicament that he has. And then verse 12 then Festus, so it's like, oh, here it is. Then Festus conferred with his council. Talks about them, but then he decides, well, that's still a better option than making all these Jews unhappy. You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. And so in all of this, Festus kind of shrugs off his responsibility, shrugs off his job, shrugs off justice, and he's willing to compromise. And Paul, for him, in all of this, so like the Jews, Paul is somebody that they don't even need to care about, that they don't need to worry about loving, pursuing, praying for, none of that. For, for Festus here, Paul is a pawn. Just somebody to use for his own gain, for his own profit. He doesn't care about that. An application maybe for you in this is like, do you go about seeking out people in high status? Do you go about seeking out somebody that is just going to benefit you somehow? 
And somebody that doesn't have very, they're not going to benefit you very much. You don't really pay attention to them because there's just kind of nothing in it for you. You know, in your relationships, are you just looking to get other people's approval and trying to act a certain way, play to the crowd so that they can do that? And so, you know, M, the Jews, they're about preserving. Uh, Festus here is about what is profitable for him. And they compromise because of what is driving them. And, um, and now we're going to look at Paul and what drives him. And we're going to also kind of use Festus and Paul to, to, to kind of compare and contrast to really help bring about how this applies to us. And so Paul is driven by the promises of God. So we have preservation, profit, and then the promises of God. He's driven by this personal relationship with God. One thing that's in, in, interesting in this chapter is God is not mentioned one time. Nowhere in here does it mention God did this, God said that. Nowhere does it mention Jesus. And so it really reminds you, if, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, there's the book called Esther. And in the entire book of Esther, it never mentions God. But you as the reader, when you're reading Esther, you're like, even though it doesn't say God did this, God did that, you kind of know, hey, all of this is going on with all these people that are in charge. But you're like, but God's really the one in charge. You see it. You know it. Hey, God is the one that's orchestrating all of these things. He's really the one that is pulling these strings. He's at work. And so even though we know that, we see this power of God throughout the ch- chapter. And so later on, Agrippa shows up. Um, he's, he's kind of king, king of the Jews or king of some of the Jews. He's, he's king of this like part uh, in northern Israel. And he shows up. Festus just basically recaps the story to him again. And tells him what's, what's going on. And then um, Festus is like, okay. Or uh, Agrippa is like, okay, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I'll, I'd like to hear Paul out. Let's see what he's got. Because for Festus, he sees this opportunity. All right, hey, Agrippa showed up. He's a Jewish guy. Maybe he'll have some insight. But also, if he makes a decision, then I could be like, well, that's what he said. And just kind of pawn him off on him. And then Agrippa shows up. And then Agrippa's like, hey, let's meet. So look at verse 30, or 23. It says, so the next day after Agrippa says, hey, tomorrow I will hear about Paul. It says Agrippa and Bernice, that's his wife slash sister thing. That's weird. I don't know. You can look it up. It's weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe an application, don't, don't marry your sister. Um, so um, uh, with great pomp. You know, so this, you know, there's like this big display. There's this big deal. They're making, you know, this great pomp. Him, Bernice, they entered the auditorium with military commanders, prominent men of the city. So everybody there is to hear Paul give his defense. And, and, and basically anybody who's anybody is there. And so think about this. This is, this is, this is God working All of this crazy stuff is happening, and now you have kings, you have governors, you have military commanders. All of these other people are about to hear what? About Jesus. Why? Because somebody was acting what was profitable for them, and other people were doing what was protection from them. But what is really going on? All of these people think that they have the power. They think they have the authority. But what we really see is, wait a minute, no, God's power is on display. God is the one that is, is working here. And so, 
Um, you know, they, they, Paul is going to end up going to Rome to appeal to Caesar, or he appeals to Caesar, and they, they still are like, hey, that's where he's going to go. And so maybe you're reading the story, and the question is this, why does Paul appeal to Caesar? Because late, at the end of the chapter, Agrippa's like, well, man, we could have let him go if he didn't appeal to Caesar. Now, I don't think that that's what was really happening. I think that, that Festus was still like, because he, he could let him go. But he was just like, nah, I can't do that. I'm going to do, I'm going to just send him. But that's not really the point. Paul appealed to Caesar, and we might be like, man, he could have got out of it. Maybe he could have. And here's the thing. Why, did, why didn't Paul just wait to see what would happen? Here's the thing. Because Paul is not focused on getting out of jail. That's not his focus. His destination is not out of prison. His destination is Rome. Because if you look back two chapters in chapter 23, what did God say? You will testify about me in Rome. So Paul's like, that's what my goal is here. I'm not trying to change my circumstances to just suit what I want. I'm not trying to get out of jail, get out of these chains. My destination is is not out of here. It's to Rome. I'm following Jesus and what he wants to do for me, or wants to do through me in Rome. And so, so in this, so, so Paul is totally looking at what did God promise? God promised that I will testify about him in Rome. What is God's power in all of this? He's focused on what God said. And so in this, here's this application for you. Don't let your problems, your current problems in life overshadow the promises of God. Don't let the current problems in your life overshadow the promises of God. Paul here, he could look at these lame Jews that are trying to kill him, that want him, you know, these unjust rulers. It's real. They're bad. They're not good. He, he could focus on, on Felix and him just being, just leaving him there in prison for, for two years. He could focus on all of that. But God is at work in this. I mean, and, and think of this. I mean, like in, in these, these couple chapters, the next chapters when he, he shares his testimony, shares this defense to Agrippa. And so in, in these chapters, he speaks to three high officials, Felix, Festus, Agrippa. He spends two years in jail and he has zero to show for it. Right? In these chapters, you never hear, oh, and then someone came to Christ. Oh, and then they let him go. Oh, and then this. Oh, and then that. Like, no, it's just this. They were unjust. Paul shared the gospel. And then that's kind of it. He's got nothing to show for it. And so Paul's circumstances really aren't improving. He's still in chains. And if Paul's goal was to focus on trying to fix his problem, he would act in a very different way. But he's like, hey, my problems are real and I don't like them. But I'm not going to let what God said, his promises, overshadow my problems. And so don't let those, any of the problems in your life, overshadow what God has said. And and that's really hard. Do, Do you trust God even when things are not working out for you? Even when things aren't really improving, even when things are not going your way, do you trust God? And kind of here's the thing. Is God who he says he is? Is God who he really says he is? Does God really care about you? He said it. 
He showed you through Jesus, through the cross. Is that really God in your life? Or do you just think, man, man, because my life's messy right now, God just doesn't care about me. Don't let the promises of God, of who he is, overshadow what is going on in your life. Or, 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 sorry, but that was the other way. Don't let your problems in your life overshadow who God really is. Right? Because we look at our problems and they're right in front of our face and we're like, oh gosh, this is what I see. That must then change who God is. God doesn't really care about me. That's not true at all. Yeah, your life, like, or that circumstance, it may stink, but none of it changes who God is. Is God really alive? Did he just really raise from the dead? I mean, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. He said it. But take heart because I have overcome this world. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome this world. Right? Do you believe that God, like, not just in who he is, but do you believe what, that what he said is true? Is this really the word of God? Can you really trust it because God's the one who said it? God is the one through his spirit moving people to, to write it down, and we can trust that. Hey, God, this is what you are saying and revealing yourself to be. And I could trust your promises because you're the one making them. That doesn't mean that things will always work out. Doesn't mean things will always, you know, you could just always put a kind of a, a red ribbon and a red bow on everything. But when Jesus says, man, in me, there is life. Is that real? And you keep looking to everything else in this world, all to fix all of your problems, to get circumstances all the way that you want them to be, thinking that they're going to give you life. But you, Jesus saying, but you should have come to me. Is it true when Jesus said, or when God's word in Psalm 103, 107 says that he will fulfill the longing of your soul? Even though you, maybe you're like struggling with some sin or struggling with some shame, can you trust God's promise in Romans 8 when he says, therefore, if anyone is Christ now, right now, not because you're not sinning now, but just now, there is no condemnation. Because Jesus got that for you. Jesus bought it for you, and you can rest in that promise. All the time, man, I'm not condemned before God, not because I'm like having a good week, but because Jesus made it true. And I could trust in the promises of God and what God's word is saying to me, what God's word is revealing to me. I could trust in this promise that, yeah, even though my life is going maybe crazy or whatever it is and it's not working out, but when Jesus said, hey, I will be with you always, when he said, I'm giving you my spirit and you'll receive power, I can trust what he said is right because God's the one who said it. Don't let the promises of God or don't let the problems of your life overshadow the, the promises of God. Another, another thing in this that, you know, Paul's looking that he's, he's, he's driven by who God is, by these promises. And so another application of this is how do you relate to God? How do you relate to God? Festus, everything and how he relates and the decisions that he makes is about what is profitable for him. Paul is, everything that he's driven by is by God. And so this question is, is this, is your, how you relate with God, is it about this practical relationship that you have with, or practical religion or a personal relationship? Let me repeat that. Do you relate to God in a practical religion way? 
or a personal relationship way. Because if you're relating to God in a practical religion way, this is how this goes. God, I'll fit you in when I can fit you in. Right? Whatever is practical and profitable for me, God, that's how you're going to kind of operate. Right? Felix, in the previous chapter, he went to listen to Paul when it was convenient. When it kind of fit his schedule. And so, so a lot of times, we, we want to relate to God on this, how do you benefit me way? How, how, how can you do what is profitable for me? And God, you kind of need to fit into my schedule. God, you kind of need to fit into my finances the way that I want you to. You need to kind of fit into my relationships the way that I want you to. Don't tell me what is true. Don't tell me what I should adjust because look, this is my life, this is my relationship and I'll, I'll, you're the practical part of my life. And I'll fit you in how I want you to fit in. It's not personal. It's just practical, okay, God? That's how we're going to do this. And so you're going to fit into my finances. You're going to fit into my physical relationships. You're going to kind of fit into my phone life, my Netflix life, whatever it is. That's how this thing is going to go. And here's the thing. I want both. Right? I, I want both. I want a personal relationship with God, but I also want a profitable relationship with God. Right? I, I want God to be like, hey, I want you to do what helps me. What, what just, and, and how I think it should help me. I want to do what benefits me, benefits my life. But, but let's make, I want it to be personal too. And that's how many times we approach God. And it's, it's, it's really not like we get that. God's not like, hey, man, I'm just, I'm just here to make things kind of the way that you want them to be. And so here, here's, here's how that kind of plays out. God becomes kind of a vending machine. Yeah, we, we can cast all of our cares on God, and we should. He does care for us. But then we, we, we come to God in this, like, if I do this, you do that way. Right? You go to a vending machine. You make sure that dollar's flat. You have to do that a bunch of times on the corner of it. Put it in. in, 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 in. Oh, yeah, there, there, there's the dollar. It went in. Then you look at the thing. Okay, all right, where's the bag of Doritos? Bag of Doritos, E4, E4. Is it E4? Making sure E, E4. Yeah, E, beep, beep. And the Doritos pop out. And then here's kind of how you bring that to God. God, I prayed. God, I've been good. And what's supposed to pop out of you is these blessings for my life. And when that doesn't happen, you're like upset with God because you're like, wait a minute. I did the right steps. I put the dollar in. I I popped the prayer in and out should come these blessings, God. And what's your problem? This is the deal we had. It was cool. And then God's like, I never made that deal. One, I rescued you in your sin when you did nothing. You couldn't, like, you didn't do anything. You couldn't do anything. And I've rescued you to myself. And I want to give you, actually, the real blessing isn't your stuff. The real blessing isn't having life the way that you want it to be. The real blessing that I could give you is me. I gave you myself. And everything that I have for you, it might not be easy, but it's absolutely what is best for you. Not just now, but in eternity. And so do you operate with God with this kind of like practical religion or personal relationship way? Or or, or we just kind of ignore anything that God is kind of says in his word that we don't want to do. Right? Anything that you just are like, I don't feel like that. 
I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And you just don't do it. Right? If, if that's you, that's, that's showing you that you're operating to God in this like, you serve me way. God didn't come to make you comfortable. God didn't come to do things that you feel like. And again, the good news is this. God didn't come to give you this practical religion. He didn't come to give you what is profitable for you. He came to give you himself. To reconcile, to bring you who are far off, to bring, bring you to himself, to be united with him, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what God has done for you, what Jesus has done for you, that he died for you on the cross. And so here's the question I have for you is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Not some practical religion. Do you today, right now, have a personal relationship with Jesus? And again, it's not because, hey, you get that because you come to church. You get that not because like you're kind of a good person or you don't do really bad things. You get that because Jesus saves you by his grace, by, what he, by his death on the cross in your place. And he's the one that offers you forgiveness. He's the one that offers you relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with God? And if, and if you don't, man, today could be the day where you trust in Christ. Where you're just like, God, I, I don't even know what this all, 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 maybe you're not even clear and everything, but just Jesus, I'm trusting in you that you are the way to, to everlasting life. And I'm just trusting that you have paid the price for my sin and that you make me new, you save me. And if, and if you are following Jesus, you know, if, you, if you're a, a follower of Christ, ultimately, Apart from Christ, you're going to be driven by everything that's not Christ. Apart from Christ, you're going to be driven by your sin. You're going to be driven by, by, by selfishness to preserve yourself. And, and, and we see that in the Jews, and it led them to eventually murder Jesus, eventually murder, uh, try to murder Paul. But Jesus, Jesus didn't come and try to preserve his own life. In Philippians 2, it says that he emptied himself and he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that is why the reason now that we could be free, free from trying to preserve ourselves, because why Jesus didn't preserve himself for me. Hey, and, and whatever happens now, I don't have to worry about trying to preserve it because why I could trust in the promises of God that one day Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things new. He's going to restore everything. And so even if stuff is cruddy now, I know what's to come. Jesus is coming back. I don't need to worry about protecting myself. And, and you know, for, for Festus, that was worried about just trying to do what's profitable for him. It, you know, and, and it kind of works. That's the tricky thing. It works for a while. In the short term, looking out for yourself kind of works. But, but eventually it fails. Eventually it comes to an end. And we don't look to what is profitable for us. We look to Jesus, the one who, who is like, hey, I'm not coming to do what's profitable for myself. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to make myself nothing. And I'm going to be as a servant. I'm going to give my life so that you might have life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, um, we thank you, Lord, that, that you not just save us, but Lord, but your gospel motivates us. Lord, that we could be driven... Um, by just who you are, Lord, that, that you are the one that ultimately did not look to just try to preserve yourself or just do what's profitable for you, Lord, but you gave of yourselves, Lord, so that we might have life, so that we might know you. And Lord, I pray that as we
I don't know that as we, we listen to your word, Lord, that we would just reflect, that we would respond to you in a way of, of, of humbly, honestly, Lord, to just say, hey, what is it that's really driving me? And Lord, just, just look to you to change us. Look to you to continue to guide us, to move us um, towards Jesus, Lord, because you are more beautiful. And even just like the scripture that we read earlier, Lord, for the love of Christ compels us, the love of Christ controls us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for you who died and rose again on our behalf. And so give us that strength, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.